And let me invite uh, Eric Jansen to come this morning, and he's going to read the entire chapter for us, something we're going to do each week uh, until we complete the entire Gospel of Matthew. Good morning. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the an- his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Thank you, Eric, for reading God's Word to us here this morning. Well, let me begin this morning by asking a question. I think it's a very relevant question, and it's simply this. uh, How do you deal with temptation? And by temptation, I mean this. 
Temptation is the state of being enticed to do what is displeasing to the Lord and probably yourself and maybe your parents and maybe your friends by a promise of pleasure or gain. Now, I suppose if I threw that question out here today and some of you uh, had the nerve to speak up, and uh, I hear a varied and numerous responses. And I say numerous because aren't we all dealing with temptation? I think if you have blood flowing through your veins, you know something about temptation. And I say varied because I think we all learn to deal with temptation maybe in somewhat different ways, but maybe all too common ways as well. For example, some of you may say, when I face temptation, I immediately begin to pray. You know, just as Jesus said, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And some of you say, hey, I simply recite the Lord's Prayer, which contains that wonderful line, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And you know, some of you may say here today, you know what, I simply ask Jesus for help. I once read in the book of Hebrews that Jesus invites us to come to him because he promises to help those who are being tempted. The great invitation. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Others may say here today, you know what? When I'm tempted, I just run like Joseph. Remember that story? Genesis chapter 39. I guess Joseph was this really good-looking guy, and his, uh, his boss's wife took a shining to him and tried to seduce him, and he simply ran. Others may stay here this morning, and I've heard someone say that to me this week. I simply just stay away. I do my best to stay away from temptation, as in the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, where this father is teaching his son with these words, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set your foot on their path. And I heard someone say that to me, you know, I just don't hang around with a former friend. He just drags me down. I just have to stay away. Not permanently, but for this season, he just simply needs to stay away. Others may say, you know what, I seek out the support of friends. Following the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's strength in numbers. Yes, two are better than one, writes the wisdom literature writer. He, in my estimation, all of the above responses be good and helpful answers to the question, how do you deal with temptation? Some of you might want to pipe in, hey, I do some self-talk. Self-talk is a really wonderful thing. If you see people driving and they're talking, they're not always singing along with the music. Sometimes they're speaking against negative thoughts. Talking to yourself, boy, be your best friends at times. Speak truth to yourself. So in the passage this morning, That is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, which we're going to focus in on here this morning. We're reminded, we are reminded of yet another really fabulous, important, helpful thing that we can do when temptation comes our way. And it's so wonderfully modeled by Jesus himself. So would you just bow in prayer with me before we dig into this passage here this morning. Father, I just pray that you would impress upon us uh, what your son so wonderfully modeled for us years ago when he resisted the enemy's temptations. Speak to us now 
In his name we pray. Amen. The passage begins today with these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, that's just a short sentence there, but have you gone without just one meal and you know how hungry you are? And Jesus has gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. He must have just been so incredibly hungry. So friends, right after Jesus had just heard these wonderful words from his father, if you go back to chapter 3, these words, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, Jesus was then out, led out into the Judean wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Talk about contrasting experiences. At one moment, Jesus is hearing these wonderful words of affirmation from his father, and the next moment, he's being tempted by the devil. Oh, for the highs and lows of life. Don't we all know something about that? I can remember back about a month ago, I said to my wife, I just love life. I just love the life that God has given me. And, you know, probably a week later, I was not so enthusiastic, you know? <laughs> Friends, in the scripture, the devil is described as a personal being, the archenemy of both God and humankind. He's also described as a liar, a deceiver, one who leads the world astray, one who persecutes God's people, one who accuses God's people. And I think what he accuses is, you'll never be good enough for heaven. And actually, at that accusation, we can say, you're right, but Jesus makes me good enough. Furthermore, he's described as a person who wants to lead you away from your simple and pure devotion to Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, he's also called the devil four times, Satan once, and the tempter one time. And yes, in the passage before us this morning, he is tempting to lead Jesus into sin in three locations and with three different temptations. And you have to ask, does he believe if he could get Jesus to sin, God's great plan to redeem the world would be thwarted? I believe so. So let's take a closer look. Temptation number one is found in verses three and four. The tempter came to him and said, and keep in mind, Jesus has fasted for 40 days and he is really, really hungry. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. Friends, those are powerful words, it is written. Jesus is appealing to the authority of scripture. And here's what he quotes. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that kind of underlines, friends, the mouth of God, our understanding of Scripture, that it is God-breathed. And if you go back to the book of Exodus, God was literally giving the Ten Commandments verbally. And you know, at that point, the people were a little fearful <laughs> because there was smoke on the mountain and this voice came out. And they actually said to Moses, hey, why don't you just talk to us personally? We've heard enough of God's voice because it's just, it's, it's causing us to fear. Friends, in essence, the devil is saying to Jesus, use your privileged position as God's son to alleviate your hunger. Yes, use your power to satisfy your own needs. And Jesus is not buying into this. 
he believes it is wrong thing to do for him. So he quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy with these wonderful words, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God or comes from the mouth of God. Now, I believe it's important for us to know that these words that Jesus is quoting was first spoken in the year, let's say, approximately 1406 B.C. by Moses to the nation of Israel just before they were going to go into the promised land. The law was initially given, what, in the book of Exodus, and then about 40 years later, just before they were to enter into the land, you might say Moses says, let's have a big review. And they went through all the laws, and this is one of the things that Moses emphasized to them. Yes, that man shall not live by bread alone. And so what was Moses trying to tell the Israelites? In essence, he was saying, if you really want to live well, and if you really want to prosper in the promised land, you need to pay really close attention to all that I've done for you, and that all I've commanded you, and all that I've promised you. In the case of Jesus, however, I believe he was saying to the devil, I'm not taking orders from you. I follow God's plan for my life. God's will is more important to me than my next meal. Or in Jesus' own words, as quoted in John's Gospel, my food is what? To do my Father's will. Friends, the scripture is soul food. And we all need soul food. Friends, Jesus successfully overcame the devil's temptation by affirming a great truth found in the scriptures. Yes, from the book of Deuteronomy. Something he's going to do three times in this passage of scripture. Temptation number two. In verses five to seven, we read that then the devil took him to the holy city. Now the location the temptation has changed. It's now in Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God again, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And now the devil's quoting scripture. He's quoting from Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered, it is also written, as if to say, you haven't read the scriptures very well. <laughs> Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. And so what do we see here? We see this, the enemy asking Jesus to do something as ridiculous as jumping off a building, all the while expecting God to protect him. Because he is the son of God. And furthermore, the devil even wants a quote from scripture as if to say, look at God's promised to protect you if you fall off the temple. And of course, once again, Jesus resists the temptation by quoting again, yes, from the book of Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now once again, these words were first spoken by Moses to the Israelites in 1406 B.C. Yes, just before they were to enter the promised land. And when Moses spoke these words... He was referring to an old incident that maybe happened about 39 years previous to this when they angered God by testing him. The incident is recorded in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, where Israel tested the Lord in two ways. Firstly, 
by really grumbling and complaining. They gave Moses such a bad time. They demanded, you give us water and you give us water now. And secondly, they doubted God's presence. It really was the sin of unbelief. God was leading them miraculously all the way. Can you imagine if you moved about the city with a, you know, a cloud by day and, and a fire by night? Everything you did was miraculously guided. And yet these people were doubting God's presence. They didn't believe God was going to provide for them. They were testing God. So in essence, Moses was telling the nation of Israel, if you want to prosper in the, in the promised land, don't test him. Don't test his patience. Don't make thoughtless demands of him. And make sure you believe in his great promises and his presence with you. So the question also should be asked, what was Jesus saying to the devil? By quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. Once again, I think Jesus was telling the devil that he was not going to use his privileged position as the Son of God to demand that God protect them from something as ridiculous as jumping off the high building. To do so would have been a clear case of testing God. So once again, Jesus quotes. He affirms a great truth from scriptures to resist the devil's temptation. And now temptation number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus responds by saying to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now please note that the scene of the third temptation has now taken them from the holy city to some high mountain. I haven't got a clue where that mountain would be. And he has a chance to view all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. Was he looking at Rome and all the vast architecture the Romans had built, all their great highways? I can't be sure. But the devil is tempting him and saying this, I'll give you all this if you will just bow down and worship me. It's really an ultimate temptation, isn't it? For Jesus was being tempted to achieve ownership and power over all the kingdoms of the world by simply worshiping God's arch enemy. This time Jesus says, away from me, Satan. And then quotes again from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy for the third time. Yes, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, this verse was first spoken by Moses, yes, to the nation of Israel just before they moved into the promised land. And they needed to hear this great truth because during their time in the desert, they failed to worship the Lord their God and serve him only over and over again. And many of you know the story, one of the stories anyways, where Moses was away for a few days receiving the Ten Commandments. And what did they do? They started worshiping golden calf, thinking that golden calf had brought them out of Egypt. Therefore, Moses needed to remind the Israelites that their future in the promised land would very much be dependent on this great truth. And as we read the Old Testament, we see that they failed over and over again. And it's not that God wouldn't forgive them, but they were so reluctant to turn back to God. God sent them prophets over and over again to tell them to turn back to God, and they resisted that. And ultimately, they went into captivity, and ultimately, their nation was no more. 
So once again, why did Jesus use this Old Testament verse to resist the temptation of Satan? In my understanding, Jesus was saying to the devil, I cannot be bought. I cannot be bribed into doing something that is so incredibly wrong, for my loyalty is always to my heavenly Father. So for the third time, Jesus used the great truth of Scripture to successfully say no to the enemy. The passage ends with this short sentence, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now by this, Matthew is not saying that Jesus was never tempted again. Because if we just go over to Luke's gospel, we read that the devil left him until an opportune time. And I have to believe that the enemy was in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying just before he was arrested, just before he went to the cross. And I'm sure he was saying to him, don't do this for those awful people. Don't go forward with this great plan. And of course, Jesus kept saying, not my will, but your will, Father. Furthermore, I think Matthew wants us to know that, yes, Jesus was cared for by the angels, who I'm sure brought him food and brought him many words of encouragement. <laughs> Jesus, you did it. You resisted the evil one. God's great plan to redeem this world can go forward. So then I asked the question here this morning, what is God wanting to teach us from this passage of Scripture? You know, as I read this passage of Scripture, I believe God is teaching us to affirm great truths to ourselves, just like Jesus did. In fact, I believe it's a timeless way of resisting temptation. You know, in our New Testament, the Apostle Paul says we need to put on the full armor of God so that, and listen to this, so that, and now I'm quoting scripture, so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And you know, according to Paul, one piece of armor that we're to put on is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul is saying he truly believes the Word of God is an effective weapon against the schemes of the enemy. And may I also suggest those desires that well up within our own hearts, and maybe the temptations we also experience from sometimes even our friends. When I was a teenager, and we're talking 48 years ago, I'm thinking of a moment when Pastor Cal Netterfield gathered the youth group around and opened up for us 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And in that passage... This verse is found. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that is, set apart for God's purposes. Remember several weeks ago when Pastor Dave talked about our common calling? We are all called. We are set apart for God's purposes. And specifically, Paul says that you should avoid sexual immorality, meaning sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. And yes, that we should learn to control our own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. 
Friends, I've never heard God's voice audibly. I want to make that clear. We throw these terms around like I heard from God. But that day I heard from God through his written word. And you know, it wasn't long after that. I think I was 19 at the time. I went to this course called Basic Youth Conflicts. It's now, it was then renamed the Basic Life Principle Course. And I was encouraged to memorize scripture, which resulted in me memorizing this very passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. To this day, I am so <clears throat> incredibly grateful for both Pastor Kel for bringing this verse of scripture to my attention. And for seminar leaders like Bill Gothard for encouraging me to memorize scripture. For in times of temptation, this great truth of scripture has been so helpful to me in resisting temptation. Friends, I truly believe it is a very helpful practice to memorize scripture that address our everyday temptations. For example, There are days that we just kind of fall into this complaining, whining kind of attitude. You know, over the years, it's been so helpful to have memorized Philippians 2.14 that says, hey, do all things without grumbling or arguing. It's just the antidote to that tendency. Hey, are we ever in, in tempted to engage in gossip or hurtful speech or just to say something that's not really valuable? Ephesians 4.28 has been so valuable. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Hey, friends, and here's something we all share in common. If tempted by the all-too-common temptation of making good things ultimate things, Boy, what a great time to quote the great commandment to ourselves. Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Friends, this great truth of Scripture can be so very helpful at keeping good things in their proper place. And, and by good things, friends, I'm referring to things like, hey, we just celebrated Valentine's Day, right? Our spouse, our spouse, wow, what a blessing to us. But I'm thinking of our families, our friends, our jobs. I'm thinking of sex, our hobbies, our homes, our health. And the list goes on of these good things that we are allowed to enjoy in life. Not to be misunderstood. These are truly good things, but they can never be our first love. For none of these good things are God. None of these good things can offer us salvation in all its glory. Nor can they good things satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Neither can any of these good things bring about the new heavens and new earth where everything will work as it should. Only God can do that. So when tempted to make good things, ultimate things, speak the greatest commandment into your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and pray God, pray to God that he'll give you the grace to do so. Friends, temptation to sin is part of life. Whether the source of your temptations from within, 
or from those you're associating with, or from the enemy himself. Temptation is part of life. But praise God for the promises like this. No temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Friend, in the Bible, especially if we read here this morning in the book of Deuteronomy, I think the temptations that Israel experienced are the same common temptations we have today. But the good news is that God is the supreme ruler over this world. And he will not, in his sovereignty, allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And furthermore, he always provides that way out. So I say immersing ourselves in the scriptures is always a great thing to do so that we can, like Jesus, affirm great truths at our points of temptation. Yes, the scriptures are part of our spiritual armor that help us to resist the devil's schemes. Furthermore, in the face of temptation, we can pray. We can ask Jesus for help. We can do a healthy amount of self-talk. We can seek out trusted friends. We can learn to stay away. And we can learn to run like Joseph. Not to mention all the other things that Scripture would give us as part of our, you might say, our spiritual armor. Friends, be assured God will always provide a way out. But you know, having said that, only Jesus will perfectly, or did perfectly resist temptation. None of us will. But here's the beautiful thing. When we fail to say no to temptation, there's always a way back. There's always a way back. As we read in Apostle Paul's first letter, and I'm sure many of you have memorized this verse. By the way, this was written to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, this is written to Christians who sin. And when we confess our sins, he forgives again and again and again and again. And why does he forgive us? He forgives us because of what Christ has done on the cross. As Jesus himself says a few verses later in this very same letter, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yes, on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself. God takes sin seriously. But on Christ, he received the punishment our sins deserved. They were taken care of, making reconciliation and forgiveness possible for everyone who embraces what Jesus did for him. So I often hear people say, well, you know, if if you're forgiven when you've confessed your sins the first time, Why do you need to keep on going on forgiving, I mean, confessing your sins? Isn't it taken care of once and for all? You know, as I read the book of Romans, for example, it says that if you place your faith in Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous before a holy God. And I totally understand that. But let me give you three reasons why I think we as believers need to keep confessing our sins. Number one, when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with God concerning right and wrong. And we need to have a clear vision of what right and wrong is before us at all times. Secondly, 
when we confess our sins as believers, we're restoring the communion with God that has been, you might say, interrupted by sin. And thirdly, and I think this is most important, when we confess our sins as Christians, we're given the wonderful opportunity to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, God not only provides a way out of temptation, we can say no. But when we fail to say no, he's also provided a way back to him. God is so good. It's no wonder we are invited over and over again in the scriptures to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with our, all our mind. Yes, as we've sung this morning, God is so good. Amen? Amen.